the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast. Hello there and welcome along to episode 10 of the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast, Japan 2019. I'm Adrian Barnard here with you on match day 9 of the 2019 Rugby World Cup and today we're meeting an absolute legend of the modern game. In a glittering career spanning 14 years, he played for his country 124 times, scoring 335 points. He's played in three World Cups and in 2007 he helped his country to win the coveted Webb Ellis Trophy for the second time in its history. That year he was one of the stars of the competition, scoring eight tries to equal the record set in 1999 by Jonah Lomu for the most tries in a single World Cup tournament. And he also shares with Lomu the record for the most ever World Cup tries, with a total of 15. So if you haven't worked it out already, the nation he represented is South Africa and the player himself is the electric winger Brian Habana. Now aged 36, the Johannesburg-born winger retired in April 2018, and since then he's been enjoying life away from his former playing days. Planet Sports Rugby Podcast's Liam Flint caught up with Brian Habana at the World Rugby Sevens Series event at Twickenham back in May, and began by asking the question that many fans have been asking. Do you feel like right now, because it's so fresh since you retired, do you feel like you could just get the boots on, you could have a crack out there and you could still make a difference? Do you ever there get tempted is, sometimes? There is no tempt or motivation <laughs> in any way or form. You're done. Um, I have been sort of really poor from a training regime perspective you know, for yeah, the last looking, 10 yeah, months. Really um, shape, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually you did a 100-kilometre I, I trek um, you know, with Just Challenge last week in, in, in aid of Laureus funding and... You know, day one, we had 11 and a half hours, 35 kilometers in the mountain, and I almost waved the white flag, <laughs> given that I had done absolutely almost nothing for the last 10 months. You know, I was lost. You're allowed that, though. You're allowed that. I think you are allowed that, and I've sort of allowed myself not only the mental break, but the physical break as well. Um, you know, I've, I've dedicated you know, quite a bit of you know, the last 15 years to trying to be at the best in terms of form and fitness, and I think to take a little bit out and step out of that, um, I have put on one or two kilos, maybe a little bit more, and given that my sweet tooth is not the most ideal thing in the world, <laughs> um, I might have to start getting into some form of uh, of aerobic and anaerobic exercise pretty soon. But like I said, I think there's you know there's, there's a massive drive towards you know allowing players to understand how important trying to prepare for you know for the transition period is it's not easy because you know once you step out of that bubble you only fully understand how much of a bubble it was you know from a financial aspect from a daily routine perspective from getting stuff for free you know your clothes your you know your schedule for the week your flights booked your transportation booked so it's this massive holistic approach and i think Unfortunately, yeah, the, I think the worst case, you know, we saw was potentially Dan Vickerman, who, yeah. towards the end of his career, you know, went back, completed his studies, you know, started moving really quickly up the corporate ladder, um, you know, and two years later, sort of, you know, took his own life because he just mm. couldn't deal with the pressure. And sure. I think um, it's, it's an holistic approach. You know, my wife, who is the more educated of the two of us, she's got her sports science honors degree, and um, you know, <laughs> does does a lot of. Uh, Pre and postnatal, she had her own pre and postnatal training facility and, and really enjoys the the training regime side of things and the health and wellness perspective. And she actually said, like, you know, first of all, you know, rugby players or professional athletes, they don't go into a, a tapering down training perspective. So, you know, all of a sudden your last day happens and then you're like, okay, well, I need to buy a gym mm-hmm. contract. You know, my knees are a bit dodgy, so I can't do running. So you need to look for a what bike or bicycle or rower or something and um, you don't sort of tape your body down and all of a sudden you're excreting different hormones um, your body's going through 
a massive physical change and that then potentially creeps into you know mental health uh, hole where you know you start getting depressed and start not knowing exactly what's happening with inside your body so um a challenging one you know i'm grateful that i was able to have people around me that you know sort of kept me real and and trying to at a time understanding that rugby was great and as grateful for as i am for what it gave me um i think i i tried to for the most part of my career understand that rugby was a part of my life and not try to make it my life mm-hmm. and i think within that understanding that you're not losing your identity when when rugby or professional sports finishes and again you know being able to you know have faith in in certain different things and and know that there's a greater good for for certain things um and knowing that it's just a season um i think it sort of helped me I, I wouldn't say I'm 100% like this amazing person that's made the transition impeccably well, but I think there's a lot of motivating factors that has allowed me to try and make the adjustment as easy as possible. And of course, it goes without saying, World Cup, massive year for everyone involved, even you now as a, a fan and a non-player. Mm. When you look at this squad, when you look at Saikalisa, I know you've been quite vocal in how much you back him. Do you think if South Africa go far, if the Springboks can go semi-final, do you think that'll be that'll have bigger weight than in previous successes because of the situation? Um, How do you see it's, it? It's, it's difficult to say. You know, I had a chat to someone at, a, at an event in, in the States a couple of weeks ago, just in terms of the magnitude of if you know the Springbok side goes out to win it, and you know Sia Kalisa is there lifting the Webb Ellis mm-hmm. Cup. You know, I was a part of that 1995 experience where Nelson Dela walked out there in that number yeah. six Springbok jumper. Um, you know, and that was that was an iconic moment, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, it's difficult to say if Sia lifting the cup would be bigger. I think, you know, from a pure rugby playing perspective, I think you know Sia's rise from almost nothing to you know becoming the captain of the Springbok side, you know, the mm-hmm. first ever black captain that that the side's ever had, and to see them go on and do well in Japan, uh, I think it would be really emotional for a lot of us that got to know Sia's journey, got to play with him, got to experience him as as a person. Um, he's an incredibly humble, inspirational figure when you're around him. You know, he's always making people laugh. They can do well. I think Japan 2019 will potentially be one of the most tightly contested World Cups we've ever seen. Um, I believe, you know, New Zealand will go in as favourites. But, you know, the top five teams in the world that on any given day could potentially go on and and win it. So, I think from a South African perspective, you know, I'll be packing in my Springbok jersey, going to Japan and and really hoping that CA and his side do well. Um, We saw how good they can be uh, when they beat New Zealand in, in Wellington last year. So they'll go in with some confidence, but they'll also know that over the next two, three months, there'll be a lot of hard work and preparation needing to be done to make sure that they arrive in Japan fully prepared for what is going to be a massive first game against New Zealand and then hopefully try to get on and you know, if they can win that, you know, push on to higher honours. So bearing that in mind, with five or six teams basically all in the hunt, is it realistic for Springbok fans to expect them to come home with a trophy, to believe that? Is that unrealistic or I think as do a, they have to believe I that? I think as a South African and as a Springbok fan, you know, there's always that unrealistic expectation, no matter where we are and, and what we're involved in. I was involved in three World Cups, um, of which one was incredibly successful, uh, one we lost in a quarter-final against Australia, and a third one where we lost to Japan and then only lost by two points to New Zealand in, in a semi-final. So varying levels of you know disappointment and elation and I think just knowing the expectation from a South African perspective and how much rugby has given us as a country in terms of hope, inspiration, um, you know, the coming together of people of different backgrounds for a common goal uh, will always be there and you know rugby's 
you know, been that one driving force that has made people want success as often as they can get it because they know how much that success means to our country as a whole. So um, there's always a massive expectation, but I think the drive from those players to be successful is just as high. And I know, you know, the groups I was involved in, yes, you had expectation, but the expectation you lay on yourself as an individual um, and then as a group, as, as a team is, is really important. So, you know, they'll go there knowing it's not a weight on their shoulders. It's, you know, it could potentially be a driving force to see them go on and, and do well. And, you know, we saw in 2007 um, being outside of South African shores, not really understanding the amount of support we had until we came back with that cup called yeah. Bill and saw... Then he said first-hand, you know, black kids in the rural townships running two, three kilometers barefoot behind the bus just to get a glimpse of their heroes. So, yeah, I think it would be, uh, be really fantastic. And like I said, I'll be packing my Springbok jumper yeah. in. You know, that first game against New Zealand is going to be pretty tight. You potentially lose that. You you know, you have to face Ireland in a quarterfinal. We also haven't ever gone past quarterfinal stages of the World Cup. And then, you know, the, the monkey on the back that if you lose one game at a World Cup, history says that you don't win a you World Cup. It, yeah. So... It's- It's going to be be really tasty. You know, if you had asked me this question at the start of 2019, Mm -hmm. I would potentially said Ireland or or the team to beat. You know, given the 18 month run they had, and all of a sudden, you know, England um, showed their prowess in in, in the Six Nations, and Wales showed how to win championships, Mm -hmm. which is going to be really great. Just to finish, young South African rugby players obviously aspiring, look up to guys like you. You've already mentioned it earlier about not letting rugby become your identity. There is more to it. What advice would you give young players? who want this, who want to be a pro, but also the dangers and the weight that comes with what advice would you give? First and foremost, you know, you've got to know that there's going to be a lot of sacrifice and, and dedication to be able to try to achieve any goal that you want to achieve. I guess understanding that not everyone can become a Springbok, uh, not everyone can become a, a World Cup winner. Uh, you know, there's a, a very small percentage of players in any sport, and not just rugby, you know. You look at golf, you look at the the numbers and the percentage of the people that actually make it. You know, it's, it's pretty yeah. small. So I think, you know, first of all, understanding that the dedication and sacrifice has to be there if you want to make it to the highest level. Understanding that it's okay if you don't make it um, because, unfortunately, not everyone can. Yeah, of course. Um, and then trying to not make it your reality and your identity for as long as you get to experience it for. So, you know, trying to plan and know that it's a very short or limited time period and that life then happens. You know, if you put things into perspective of how long a professional sporting career is from a rugby point of view, you know, 15 years in comparison, you know, the, the average lifespan at the moment is, I think, 75 mm. or 80-odd. So, you know, I'm 35 years old. I've still got half my life, potentially, yeah, if, course, if, yeah. if not more. So I think understanding that, um, enjoying it as, as much as you can, because, you know, I, I got told quite a lot throughout my career, you do not know when it's your last. And, you know, I didn't know my last game was going to be, you know, on the 25th of April, you know, 2017, um, and not know that I'm, not even going to be able to play the game again and I think you know when you sort of realize that and understand that in the greater scheme of things you know rugby in particular plays a very minuscule part of life in comparison to other sports like golf or soccer um, you know Formula One you know just by sheer numbers you know NFL in the States you know rugby in comparison is, is a very small percentage of you know the global population so it's just difficult to say because you want to immerse yourself fully in what you're doing to try to become the best but knowing that even if you get blessed with the talent to do something you love, um, it's a very limited you know, time period that you're doing it for. So as much as possible, try to keep yourself grounded in that. You know, never forget where you've come from, you know, what you've had to go through to achieve whatever you are achieving. Um, 
and in a way try to you know maintain your identity outside of the sport because you know once that gets taken away um, if your identity gets lost with that you sort of struggle finding yourself again. And last year Liam spoke on the line to Brian Habana about another important aspect of his life. In terms of one of your personal statements you often talk Brian about your personal faith in Jesus which I know is really yeah. integral to you as a, as a man and a player. Just tell us why that holds such importance in your life. What's what's the story there for you? Yeah, so I think for me, obviously, growing up in South Africa, Christianity is a more common factor within within South African rugby teams. You know, you'll see a lot of the teams either you know praying before games or, or praying after games. So um, it's sort of instilled in our culture in in a little way. And again, from from a young age, you know, I sort of yeah, I sort of believe that you know I've I've been given this opportunity to be blessed with the talent to do something I, re- I really love and I think to be able to use that to be able to first of all stay humble um, in in where you are as, as a person um, yeah, but be able to ground yourself in something you know, the saying of standing for something or fall for anything um, you know, I think is, is one of the the things I've been able to, to sort of reflect on you know, over my, my rugby career and knowing that you know that within that point of, of being centred um, you know, that outward growth can continue to make a difference being able to be to be a light in the world um, and be able to allow people to to know that you know as, as great as being able to play rugby is I think there, there's much more to life and you know, being able to, to be that light for, for people to be able to be making a difference in the world is, is absolutely fantastic and like I say with you know, my faith and faith in, in God and, and knowing that you know, I've been blessed with the talent to yeah, to really you know go out and and make a difference is something that has, has allowed my my career to you know constantly fall back fall to have something to fall back on, um, you know through the good times and the bad. South African rugby legend Brian Habana there talking to Liam Flint, and Liam will be back here tomorrow as for the next two weeks the podcast will be coming to you from the heart of the action in Japan. Liam and fellow reporter Tom Ellis will be bringing you all the World Cup atmosphere on the ground from Tokyo and Yokohama and they'll be visiting some of the local sites and talking to people who've travelled from every corner of the globe to experience the unique perspective that Japan brings to the Rugby World Cup. And don't forget that you can share your own thoughts and perhaps questions with us on the World Cup on WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven seven zero seven 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 six seven nine zero. That's plus four four seven seven zero seven 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 six seven nine zero for your chance to take part in the Japan 2019 podcast. But that's it for today. So from me, Adrian Barnard, thanks very much for listening. And the Planet Sport Rugby podcast, Japan 2019, is a passion for sports production.